podcast from New York. This is Sebastian Moll. Today's episode is a bit of an experiment for us. I'm coming to you in English because I'd like to share a fascinating interview with you that I had a few weeks ago with a young American writer who I consider to be one of the most exciting voices of his generation, Joshua Cohen. In the past, we've gone through the pain of dubbing conversations such as this with a German-language voiceover, but I truly feel that that diminishes the experience of really hearing someone's voice. And in addition, I'm really confident that my German listeners understand American English well enough to appreciate interviews such as this one. Joshua Cohn is 40 years old and he lives in downtown New York. His latest book is called The Netanyahu's, an account of a minor and ultimately even negligible episode in the history of a very famous family. And it is just that. It's the story of that time that Benjamin Netanyahu's father, Ben Zion Netanyahu, applied for a tenure-track position at Cornell University back in 1959. And as all of Joshua's books, it's ridiculously funny and incredibly smart and at the same time a deeply satisfying reading experience. But this book uh, that has been out uh, in the United States for a few months, uh, but not yet been translated into German, is not the reason why I met with Joshua at his loft in Soho on a cold January afternoon. The reason is that his magnum opus, the 900-page Witz, or Witz in German, has just been translated into German and is being published here this February. Ritz was written more than 10 years ago, and it's perhaps Joshua's most ambitious work. It can be called maybe an attempt at the definitive Jewish-American novel, and it's a work of dazzling complexity and learnedness, and at the same time, an unbelievably enjoyable thrill ride. And um, I have to say the same can be said of the talk I had with Joshua, which I'm about to share with you. For my German listeners, this is part two of a double episode of Manhattan Transfer that I chose to dedicate to Joshua and Witz because I think the work as well as the encounter with Joshua really deserves that much space. In the first part, I talked to uh, Joshua's German editor, Dr. Sabine Baumann, who gave us a wonderful introduction to Joshua's work and his mind, really. And if you haven't already heard this and this piques your curiosity, please go back and listen in. So without further ado, here is Joshua Cohen. So Witz is coming out in German. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's like um, you started working on that book 20 years ago, maybe? Um, in 2010, yeah, probably 2001, yeah. 2001 had, had probably began, yeah. But I mean, I you know then probably six seven years of nonsense. What What do you mean nonsense? Well, <laughs> trying to figure out. You know, it was trying to trying to figure out how to. You know, you know it was a while ago, right? So yeah. the answers I'm giving you are the answers of m me now, right? And not necessarily. I think they reflect the period, but I've done a lot of drinking since then, right? So it's, it's um, and especially in the last few years, I think it was a process of um, of reading a lot before a lot of writing happened because I was, it was kind of obvious to me that there was, um, that there were a number of models for this, that this book was in a certain type of a tradition and that I had to do a lot more, like after a first 
I, I hesitate to call it a first draft, but some form of a draft. I mean, a really misshapen, disgusting, you know, pile of paper. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very obvious that there was a lot of reading I had to do. So I would say that there was, you know, maybe a, a year or so of writing in 2001, 2002, and then kind of putting it aside for a bit and, and, and doing a lot of the reading that I think was necessary for it, mm-hmm. you know. So in that in that in that first year, the idea took took shape, or or, or did you, or, or when you first when you first started, you did have the idea of, of a novel of that scope and that ambition. Oh, I don't know if it was scope and ambition. There, there was, you know, there was a there are two books that were. Let's see if someone falls from there. <laughs> happens. Uh, um, there were um, there was a book by Moshe Nadir. Um, I'm not sure what it, what its title would be in, in English, and I don't know if that would be in German, but it's it's essentially, um, I think it's the, the Messiah would be the, probably the, if it was in English, and it was about, um, and it was one of the books that was in a sort of tradition, a, a German version would be, or an Austrian version would be, um, Hugo Bettauer's Die Stadt und Juden, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Which were these um, sort of, apocalyptic fantasies that on one hand were about false messianism and on the other hand were about were kind of precursors of the Holocaust and uh, uh, Beth Hauer's book was a, uh, an imagination of a Vienna without Jews mm-hmm. you know where Vienna kicks out all of its Jews and kind of what happens to Vienna it's a satire that all the theaters shut and you know and and Nadir's book is a very weird book. You know, he lived, he, he emigrated uh, uh, from Galicia uh, uh, here, and his is a, a book about a, a um, like a carnival guy in Coney Island mm-hmm. who decides to, like, he finds, like, some weird, interesting immigrant, and he says, this guy's the Messiah. And he displays him at Coney Island as the Messiah. And he actually attracts followers. And so then a rival carnival guy finds his own person and says, no, my guy is the Messiah. And then they have sort of competing circuses or competing carnivals. Mm-hmm. And I think those were the two books that, that, that I read that, that sort of sparked it, you know, th- this, this idea and told me that, oh, there's a tradition of this, this sort of like a tradition of this novel of the last Jew, which had been something in Jewish literature, um, really, you know, for centuries, mm-hmm. And um, things that were kind of not necessarily always in a novelistic form. There are a lot of poetry. There's a lot of poetry about it. And you know, I looked around for academic because the first thing you say is, you know, the academics know this, you know, and you kind of search around. And this is before the internet, so you know, you're asking people. Really, I mean, to, you know, 2001. I'm living. I think I was I was in Berlin at the time actually, and I was living on, on Diefenbachstrasse, and and I was like, you know, I was, I don't, even, I think I might have gone to an internet cafe, which mm-hmm. is like, wow, right, mm-hmm. and and you know, trying to find out what the, what this sort of tradition was, and then really realizing that it hadn't been sort of academically codified as that, and then what followed was this, um, you know, almost like a self assignment of reading through these books from like The Travels of Benjamin Tudela, which is an ancient book, to Yoram Kaniuk's The Last Jew, which is some kind of an Israeli version, 
and um, and to try to piece together this idea of you know um, uh, 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 what was this figure in the Jewish imagination, and it was a very weird figure. I mean, it, like the existence of this figure, I think, is is um, understandable because of persecutions, because of expulsions, because of genocides. You know, Jewish history makes it understandable. But what makes it odd is what is that person's relationship, what is this figure's relationship to the Messiah? And maybe the way of talking about uh, a Messiah from a, in, a, in a human form from a Jewish aspect was coming up with this figure, you know? Um, and, um, and then it was uh, uh, from there kind of trying to understand what the role of this person was in a, in a literature that wasn't until fairly, very recently, uh, a, a novelistic literature. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it was. It was. Uh, you know. It was more of a literature of poetry and, and homiletics, and so, um, yeah. So it was just. It was, and it was struggling to to figure out, um, you know, who this figure could be, and um, and why I was interested. And then it was funny, you know. And then I, I think it was right after the book came out. And of course, you know, when you're writing a book suddenly you hear everyone talking about subjects that are associated with it and you suddenly have these narcissistic delusions that the world that you are the sun and the world is revolving around you right but i remember it was very soon after the book came out and it was it was you know um, this was uh, uh, already deep obviously into into uh, iraq and afghanistan and i remember the the documentary you know uh, or first in the newspaper and then there's a documentary you know the last jews of afghanistan uh-huh. and you know they were of course two guys who hated each other yeah. and that was you know they were like two Jews left in Afghanistan they both claimed that the other one wasn't the Jew they both had uh, uh, tried to uh, hold on to the key to the synagogue and they were so annoying that like the Taliban basically couldn't even keep them in prison they were just like you're too annoying get out of here uh-huh. and they, you know and and I think that um, um, but anyway I, I it was really finding a curriculum for myself and assigning myself a a a a a course of reading because I was very young when I started that and I was how old are you 20 I was 20 20 20 21 yeah yeah, when I started it and I had a you know I had what I you know still consider to be I think a, a a very firm grounding in Torah and Talmud and like the traditional you know, in in the things that they shoved down my throat at school, yeah. right? Sure. But um, and I had somewhat of a literary education in um, in American literature, right? To to you know, and 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 the greatest hits collection of European literature, let's say, but the greatest hits, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, but Jewish literature was not something that is taught in Jewish schools. And it's not something that's spoken about in American culture, in a, in, 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 especially not if it's not written in English. Right. And so it was, and there was no way as a writer to discover that tradition except on your own. I mean, in a way, you know, some of the greatest Jewish American authors, um, you know, they certainly didn't have that grounding at all. Roth didn't, you know, Bellow didn't, Malamud certainly didn't. Um, until later, much later in their careers, when they, if they chose to, they took it upon themselves, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that was like Roth's later life 
kind of saying I'm going to think seriously about Kafka and Schultz and and so on. Uh, so yeah. the the original impetus was to to you know learn about Jewish literature, a self-assigned course of study in in world Jewish literature. It, it, absolutely, <laughs> it, and 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 in a way, and in a way, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but I was thinking really, you know, I, you know, when you go to a, a yeshiva, when you study in that world, you know, they're not, you don't. No one mentions a Yiddish writer. No one knows a Yiddish writer. You're studying Torah. You're studying Talmud. You're studying Gemara, Mishnah, Midrash. Like uh-huh. you're, you're, you, you, you don't have the linguistic skills, hmm. you know, to read to read those writers. First of all, and your linguistic skills in Hebrew and in Aramaic enable you to read things that essentially, you know, go until the eighth century. Okay. You know, and um, and. And while I had the ability to read books in Hebrew, you know, Israeli Hebrew, and, and um, those books were largely, you know, there's that impetus of Israeli culture is to remake Jewish culture. Mm-hmm. And so they weren't reflective mm-hmm. entirely. I'm not saying every writer, but, but entirely of, of the tradition I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's something that I found myself 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And I knew very few Jewish writers. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. You know, I knew Rashi, I knew Rambam, I knew Nachmanides, I knew, you know, right? But but I I didn't know um, Chaim Grade. I didn't know Moshe Nadir. I didn't know, you know, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting that there aren't any American universities that that teach that or. There are, on the graduate level, yeah. Okay. I mean, I could have gone and gotten a degree in Yiddish literature, but mm-hmm. I wasn't just interested in Yiddish literature, right. but yeah. 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 And then you were going to music school, right? Right, right. I mean, uh-huh. and I, I barely graduated from that place. Uh-huh. I mean, I was not a good student, uh-huh. and I don't think I would have been able to yeah. do, um, you know, the, the, the people I knew who were, I mean, first of all, at 20 years old, I didn't know any professional Yiddishists who were under the age of 80, uh-huh. first of all. Um, and, um, and... You know, but the people I know now, mm. the people that my work has brought me in touch with, you know, these are people who are, you know, deeply concerned with um, the function of tuberculosis in the Yiddish literature, 1885 to 1892. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, like this is not my, you know, um, um, area of interest. And but 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 there was no, you know, the, these uh, Yiddish literature was. By defin, like by by every definition of the word popular, meaning mm-hmm. it was popular, people wanted to read it, but also it was for the people. I mean, there's no literature that was more popular than Yiddish literature, mm-hmm. right? Um, it it uh, 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 in the sense of you know, if that was your language, you had a um, you know, you had. It, there was an insatiable appetite for a very small language, mm. right? But its popularity really meant that it was never taught mm. formally, you know? And once, um, because Yiddish was the language you would speak at home, and if you didn't get it in your home, or if, like me, you would get only snippets, you had no grammar, you know, I had verbs, I had nouns, but I had no... I, I, I didn't understand how the language worked because it didn't work anything like Hebrew. It works like German, mm. or closer to German in, mm. in a lot of ways. Yeah. I, um, I 
there was just no way to learn it. Mm. It was a hole. But you see, I mean, you had that tradition in mind that you were interested in, but you also had the Jewish American liter- literary tradition in mind. I think you, you said you, you said that. Uh, well, I think I was writing against that tradition in a lot of ways. So I had it in mind, but as a, almost as an antagonist. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you set, set yourself up at age twenty to antagonize Jewish American literature. <laughs> yeah, but that didn't really. Uh, but it didn't seem. I mean. I, I mean I, it didn't seem that formidable to me mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jewish American literature, which was something I knew, yeah. you know, one could read, you know, the f- the most important books of Jewish American literature in a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, one can't do that with German literature or French literature or, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. and um, and. And it so obviously came from the wellspring of, of, of writing in English about Jewish things. Like it so clearly came from other places mm-hmm. to me that um, that it, it that it never that that wasn't the intimidating factor. Mm-hmm. The intimidating factor was that um, there was this huge body of literature that. Um, that went back a few centuries before it got too boring for me to read, mm-hmm. right? That um, that was unknown to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that was the interesting part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That takes a lot longer. For me. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it took took you over ten years, as you said. But then, yeah. the, then the book turned out in, into you know, and I don't know if that was the in, in, intention. I mean, it turned into, into a huge project and you could say it was like it, it was like a, 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 a Jewish American novel to end all Jewish American novels was that the ambition or was it just something that it grew into as you went along I mean I knew I wanted to write something you know longer mm-hmm. um, it felt like um, it felt like a picaresque story from the very beginning right yeah. I mean it's you know a picaresque could go I mean it goes on and on you yes. know yeah like, you, you want to get into another adventure? Uh-huh. I had the idea that I wanted to write something that almost had a serial quality, like yeah. a like a serialized novel that you know. In our next episode, our hero will, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and so you know, I I, I I knew that that I wanted to have that that element in it, um, uh, because that's the element of English language literature that I really mm-hmm. respond to. Mm-hmm. And not just from the Jewish American tradition of, let's say, Augie March, which is you know a great picaresque novel, but mm-hmm. I mean you know English English British English literature. I mean mm-hmm. the, the the picaresque you know novels of you know um, of Lawrence Stern, right, or mm-hmm. or, or Smollett. I mean th- those to me were um, they were always fun, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and um, and I think that that uh, you know novels that also kind of came out. Or around, um, there was you know there was a connection in my ear to the um, to the uh, how am I going to say this? This is a really tough thing to say, but I'm going to try and do it. It's Mm -hmm. like you know there was I think it was Itzik Munger had a um, uh, Yiddish writer had a, a really odd essay that I read very young and I, I, I and you know because I was a weird child it depressed me and it was essentially saying that um, 
real nations have novels, mm-hmm. right? If you read, you know, uh, I mean, maybe Germany has poetry, mm-hmm. but not, you know, but but you know, um, when you read Tolstoy, you know, you're reading about, you know, Anna and Kitty and you know and Levin and but you you're reading Russia is, you know, it's, it becomes uh, almost a metonymy or a replacement for the soul of the nation reposes in the book, right? Mm-hmm. There, there, there's certainly that uh, heroic idea of the 19th century epic novel, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, to read Victor Hugo is to read France, right? And his essay is essentially, um, why isn't Yiddish good at novels? And it was saying because, you know, there, there is no nation, Right, it's a bunch of people who speak a language, who identify as a nation, not in a territorial sense, but also they're scattered among many different cultures and speak many different types of Yiddish, and and um, but not just that. It's also that the historical destiny of the people doesn't correspond to a novelistic idea of destiny, where the fate of the individual is the embodiment of the fate of the people, and it ultimately brings a hero through change. A yeah. hero changes. Yeah. As it, and, and, you know, his sense is, you know, we live under God's unappealable will. There is no change. You have no will. You, you, God has all the will. And, um, and so we can't... Uh, in, Jews can't effectuate the changes that the novel requires... So that Jewish literature is a literature of anecdotes. Mm-hmm. It's a literature of uh, that comes more from the folktale or the fable or the anecdote uh, and even the joke. Mm-hmm. You know, and jokes are formed very much like fables. You know, in fables you have, you know, the three beautiful daughters or the three sons. And, in, you know, the jokes you have like the three, you know, <laughs> the Polish guy, the Irishman and the Italian guy walk into a bar. Yeah. You know, yeah. like they're structured kind of in, in this way. And... Um, and I remember reading that and, first of all, rebelling, because I'm, I'm 20 and I'm an idiot and I'm rebelling. And I say, you know, no, we can write, write novels, sure. Yes. I'm capable of change, uh-huh. you know. And because feeling a shame in that or just feeling like, well, why couldn't someone write a novel? What about this person? You know, and you start picking out names in your head to prove this argument wrong, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then I... I think during the process of writing the book or figuring out what this book was, it was the idea of like, well, maybe what he's saying isn't a negative statement. Do I really like novels? Do I really think novels in the 19th century heroic embodiment sense of a character's destiny and uh, effectuating personal change that becomes or is a reflection of national change, do I think that's important? Do I care? what I write and whether it reflects America or Jews or, you know, and, um, and I realized that, that actually my sensibilities were much more in line with what he was describing, that I was much more attracted to the anecdote, the joke, the, the arrangement of smaller narratives mm-hmm. into a whole. Right. And, um, and, and that, and so and when I found a connection between that and the English novel, you know, of the 18th century, you know, of Stern, as I was saying, I was like, well, these guys are just telling anecdotes, too. Right. 
You know, this delusion of the novel is something that only really happened, you know, for a period of about a hundred years in a few countries, and half of them are boring. Right. Right. You know, half the books are boring. Yeah, yeah. And that was kind of liberating for me uh, because I, I felt in the early days of writing this, you know, why can't I write a regular novel like all the other novelists? Mm-hmm. You know? So it was a paradoxical project from the, from, totally. from the get-go and one yeah. that, was, that was, I knew was going to fail in a sense. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think I, but, I, but I, I still, but that was one of the times where I was, you know, when I think about this, I still think about um, a feeling that I haven't had in a very long time, which is writing with shame. Okay. You know, where it's, it's, I'm trying to write a novel. Okay. You know, and, um, and realizing in the breakdown of a novel, you know, why, or, you know, that a certain number of possibilities uh, 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 might be in evidence. One, I can't write a novel. Two, Jews can't write novels. Three, novels can't be written in the third millennium of Christ, you know? <laughs> like, novels can't be written after 2000 and whatever, right? Uh, or, um, I didn't want to write one. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, but I still had a crisis about these things at that time. Yeah. Yet you remained a novelist and have written many, many since. I, but I don't, write. but I, 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 but I don't know. You know, I, I'm not sure. I mean that. I guess. I guess. I. You are what they call you. You know. Jews learn that. You know. What they call you are. But. 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 You know. In. In a lot of ways. You know. When I think about this book, technically, right. When I say novel, what I mean is, this is one of two books that I've written, uh, um, that are in third person, mm-hmm. that you know are omniscience, mm-hmm. and. You know. Now I can look around and say. Hardly any books are written in third person now mm-hmm. in, in English. The books that are written in third person, most of them are kind of trashy thrillers on one hand or sort of trashy historical novels on the other hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you know, in my mind at the time when I was writing, and to a degree there's a residue now, the, the third person, you know, the God's eye view that says, I can say what this person is thinking, I can say what this person is thinking, I can inhabit this character, I can inhabit this character, I can take the point of view of a lamppost, you know? That is still the, the novelistic ideal. I mean, that's, that's Tolstoy, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, um, that, that, that's, that's Hugo, that's Dickens. And, and I, um, and so when I, I think when I say novel, it's also having that, um, the craziness or the confidence to work on that canvas and the most difficult thing on that canvas, you know, now people would say the most difficult thing would be how do you inhabit a character who's so much not like you? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how, how would you uh, write this other person, mm-hmm. you know, or a person of a different gender or something, right? Whereas I think the most difficult thing of third person is where does the language come from? You know, if, if no one's talking or God's talking, how, how do they speak? And that was something that you were struggling with and, and exploring yeah. during, during, during bits. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot of novelists, I think, you know, there, there, maybe it's a delusion that some periods of, of novelistic practice of writing 
had a more standard mode of address. Yeah. But I do think that 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 languages are more stable in certain periods when it comes to literature, mm -hmm. right? Because literature that tends to exclude the spoken from the narrative. So mm -hmm. in other words, the narrative is written in a more formal style than a dialogue. And, you know, that, that was a certain period of novelistic history, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but I think for a crisis for most novelists, certainly crisis for me is in third person, when the person speaking is some omniscient being, how do they talk to you? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, this was my attempt to figure out how they talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, you talked about this writing and, and anecdotes and the anecdotal writing, and of course, the novel is called, the book is called, it's called, yeah, yeah. it's called, it's called Vitz, but, uh, you know, and the result is, I guess, what one would call a post, postmodern novel, and I'm sure you've yeah. confronted that label many times, but, sure. but, but that came, came out of uh, this conundrum of Telling stories in the in the in the Jewish tradition for for, for for you, not in the desire to write a postmodern novel. Or? Yeah, I mean, I I I always, you know, certainly I knew Pinchon and 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 I mean, Coover and Barth, and I mean, they're writing, not not them personally, but but you know, they're. Um, I have to say. You know, I, I, I feel bad. You know, I, I have the idea that he probably doesn't read German newspapers, though. So I'm fine. Is, is, no, maybe he, he might. Um, um, no, is, is you know, a, a novelist that I never... Um, I liked a few of his books very early. And, and, and lately it's been, you know... He, but he's a very smart person. And he was very important to me for a while as Salman Rushdie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Rushdie's point with kind of Midnight's Children and the, the first few books, really, through Satanic Verses, which I think is a really, like, accomplished book that mm -hmm. has obviously been overshadowed, right? But um, it was his point that, you know, sure, I've read Pinchon, sure, I've, you know, read this, but also the culture that I'm from, like, I, I don't need to get this from postmodernism, you know? I grew up in a culture, this is Rushdie, you know, with many gods whose names changed and whose colors changed and genders changed and things were crazy and all of these stories would be recombinant, you know? And, and I, you know, I, I, so, you know, I, I read Pinchon when I was, you know, a teenager, but I had already at that point spent a decade, you know, in a discipline that was, or over a decade, in a discipline that was like, read one text, Here's another text below it in a different font and maybe in a different language, you know, a different script and a different language that is a commentary on this text. But there's no direct correlation between this text and this because it's an allegorical uh, uh, commentary or it's an analogical commentary, mm -hmm. or, you know. And so I'd already absorbed that idea. Right. I think in, in so many ways that the Pinchon thing was, was really, or, or the, 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 the Coover thing or the Bar thing was really just someone saying, um, you don't have to be ashamed of it. Um, other people understand this too, and this is part of their experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I guess he would have been a, a postmodern author without ever having read, read Pinch and just coming, just coming out of... Um, 
you know, you're Jewish, you're, you're Jewish. Yeah, I mean, I think the post, I think the postmodern aspect, yeah, I mean, though that's Mm. a difficult word to, to always define. I think it was more like the encounter with, because, you know, those guys are all lumped together, Mm. but I think Pinchon is a, is a, a, um, certainly a different kind of political novelist. And the thing that distinguishes Hoover and Barth from, if I had to pick one thing, and there are obviously many, is the idea of metafiction. Mm-hmm. And right. and and it was really the encounter with metafiction and the presence of the author in the text that felt very natural to me, mm-hmm. and that was the sort of thing where I said, you know, um, I would have become a metafictional author if I hadn't read those. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, um, it, it was, you know, I mean, it was that that question when you're you're studying the Torah and you're, you're you know and you're a kid and you're reading the thing and you're like, wait. There's a scene in this book where the book is given. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's right in the middle of the book. Right. So you're saying in the middle of the book, this guy goes up a mountain mm-hmm. and gets the book that we just read, but then it also goes into the future? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think the last time we talked, you, you said you, 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 there's, there's a part of you that would l- love to be able to get beyond that and just tell a story. <laughs> are you, sure. Are you still yeah. struggling with, with that? I mean, I think I'll always struggle with that. Uh, I, I think I'll always struggle with that. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, it's, it's in one story leads to another too. So that's the, that's yeah, the problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I, um, I mean, I, I guess in the process of this getting published in, in German, and I, uh, you know, you work closely with the, with the editors and with the translator. Oh, work, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and yes, this, this monumental <laughs> worked on it probably longer than you did. <laughs> I mean, he, he, I mean, yeah, I mean, it is, it is his book, man. I mean, seriously, I mean, for him, it was, it's, 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 it brings it linguistically, it brings so much of it closer to its source. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Interesting. Uh-huh. How how well do you read German? Uh, uh, the German of of Witz, uh-huh. very slowly, and with Uruk telling me what this weird pun is that he found in some, you know, sixteenth century German text from which the Yiddish derived itself. Mm-hmm. No, I mean it's it's. You know, when I say it re- really brings a lot of the book closer to its origins is, you know, it, it, it's, you know, German is a closer language to Yiddish than English is, much closer. I mean, like it's not even a, a competition here, you know? Right. And so when, you know, when you're bringing a book that already has a very deep Yiddish inflection in not just its vocabulary, but it's in, in its syntax and, and, and all of that, you know, into German, suddenly, I mean, you know, he's written about this very well, and he certainly and we've talked about this a lot. Like your your options open up mm-hmm. in an absolutely um, astounding way, and you know, I've done a little bit of translation of myself into Hebrew, very small, and I I have to stop doing it mm-hmm. because you know you suddenly see all of these things that underlie my English, and it's very hard to resist them. And to, you know, not follow these linguistic paths mm-hmm. um, that open up. And I think that that part of the, I, I would like to think that part of the, the, the you know, the joy in, in translating, and maybe there's a little bit, because I think it was also an enormous amount of work, 
but I think part of the joy is 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 sort of discovering these um, connections. Mm. You know, I mean, and 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 discovering the connection can take as much you know time as as or more time than making the choice. Mm. Yeah, 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 interesting. Um, so, um, was that the first time you really kind of uh, dove into the text again when they started uh, after many years away from it? How was it to, no, to you revisit know, the text? It was interesting, you know. Uh, so, so John O'Brien, who was, you know, John O'Brien at all? No, no, no. John O'Brien was the founder of Dalkey Archive mm -hmm. and um, of Dalkey Archive Press. Uh, he died in Ireland during COVID. Uh, he probably died of COVID. They never did a full-on like autopsy or whatever. It was in the middle of a major COVID wave. He was in the hospital mm -hmm. uh, for a heart condition and heart that he had a heart attack. But then he was in the hospital and he seemed to be all right. And then he 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 had also gone through cancer. But he was you know a major major publisher for decades. Um, a deeply crazy person and um and uh uh he was my first zoom funeral oh my god yeah how was and, that well it was a real kind of irish wake funeral so uh -huh. it started out nice but you know they're what five hours six hours ahead whatever they are right and and they were also about five hours ahead of drinking and so it was the kind of thing where you know just at the end like people are taking their You know, it was, I think it was like people had just gotten the, the Zoom app on their phones. So people were forgetting to not bring it to the bathroom with them <laughs> after, after like, you know, six or seven pints of Guinness. It got interesting. Um, um, it was, it was, um, yeah. I mean, I, it's not like I've been to many, uh, Zoom funerals, but it was, um, it was the most memorable. Mm -hmm. Um, so I actually, you know, I, that was the last time I kind of went and, 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 and looked at, um, And looked at the book to try and, and people were getting something together to read for him. So that was the last time I looked at it really in English. Um, but, you know, for every four months for, I mean, he would know the time obviously much better than I would, but for every three, four months for the past at least six years, I would get an enormous Word document more with things highlighted and questions everywhere. And I would, you know, look at, at, at his queries and I would look at the English. I mean, I, I, you know, a lot of it's in my head and I kind of know what that is. And I, I read German enough to know, I know what, even if it's the most complicated sentence, I know what sentence it is. But, um, but I found that going back to the English, Uh, in doing that with him actually became difficult mm. because it's not like he didn't know what I meant. It's that, um, you know, he never has that or never has that problem. It was that here are nine different possibilities in German. What do you think works? And okay. it's just, you know, and, and then this is a sort of a pun on this thing, which is like, you know, some... German author with a Latin name that I have to Google, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and this is this, and this is this. And so in a way working on it with Oracle was not going back to the English text. 
it was really, you know, the English text was always in my head, yeah. but it was trying to kind of talk to him about what he wanted to do and where he wanted to, you know, we're losing this shading here, this nuance, this, this pun, but I want to put this here. What do you think? Yeah. And that's why I say, I mean, it's really, it's, it, it was a virtuoso job. So, so yeah, I hadn't looked at the English really at all until John passed away. Right, right. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, what was the, I mean, I guess, um, how did it make you think or feel about the writer that you were when you finished that? Or did it make you think about who, who you were at that time in a different way? Or um, I think... I mean, it makes me think a lot about the moment in which the book was written, the situations in which the book was written, and how historically far removed they are from this time. I mean, it's only been, you know, it's only been 12 years since it was published. But, you know, I was writing that book sort of throughout, from Berlin East, really, when I was working for the forward over there. Um, I wrote a lot of it in Poland. I wrote a lot of it in Lithuania. I wrote some of it in Ukraine, some in Russia. Um, didn't have internet, didn't have a phone. Um, it was, you know, there, there was this, um, it wasn't yet the hard, hard Putin era. Mm-hmm. It was still kind of the, the hangover of a messy, a messy Yeltsin hangover. <laughs> you know, um, it was really um, the first stirrings of the EU in Czechia and in, in Poland and in Hungary. Um, there was, um, y- you could see, I mean, uh, all of that communist infrastructure and a lot of that mentality was still very much present. And then there was a generation gap with these real Euro optimists, you know, who were engaged in this sort of generational warfare with, you know, the communists by which they really meant their parents, right? <laughs> and and um and to realize that that was only twelve, fifteen years ago, ago. Mm-hmm. is um is is dizzying actually. So it made you realize how much the world had changed, but did it also make you realize how much you had changed? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think it, I, I think he, he did make me think about. You know, I try not to think about how much I, 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 I you know, how I changed. I, I try to think about um, what stays the same, mm-hmm. because I mean, you know this from you know, you live a freelance life. Right, they're they're Mostly, not, yeah. but 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 they're not they're not many things that they're not many things that that comprise my stability, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, in a way, I count on the change because that's how I write the next book. Yeah. And if I stop changing, it would be you know a disaster. And if I and I want to change you know with 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 every book, but I I feel like um, the there's a lot of the stability that comes from, um, I can look back at something and say, wow, I tried to, a big third person book. Uh-huh. I tried to write, um, I tried to come up with a language for the third person that I could believe in as much as I could believe in the voice of a first person character. Yeah. Uh, um, 
I um, I can look back on all of those things, but but uh, and and I'm somewhat amazed at that. But really, the things that I think about when it comes personal and not just historical is that was the last book I wrote um, when my grand when any of my grandparents or older relatives were still around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I it's uh, um, all of that connection. That family connection to that world is dead now, mm-hmm. as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, as a consequence, my family life feels very different. You know, who, how people even act toward one another in the family is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel differently about myself, not just because I'm, you know, older, but because there's not there are not many people left who are older. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, you know, that thing of you, you don't feel old, but you don't know that many people who are older. Yeah. 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 And that, that's a, that's a very, very strange, you know, a strange feeling. Um, I think that the time in which I was writing it, um, I was, um, I felt like very much of a freak. And I felt very much on the outside of everything. I didn't go to school for writing. I didn't get an MFA. I didn't, you know, I didn't do any of the things you're supposed to do, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and uh, I felt that certain of my concerns, or certainly the concerns of that book, were seen as sort of out of date, or um, or not pertinent, or not relevant to the fat and happy Clinton years. Right. Mm -hmm. I was writing from the perspective of someone who was, you know, at at the time journalism was dying uh, because of the Internet for the first time was being uh, underpaid uh, uh, to run around, you know, Eastern Europe interviewing people who are almost dead. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, and it's and now I find that maybe some of the feelings in the book are sort of more um, they feel more pertinent than than they did then that's interesting yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh you, you said you felt like an outsider and you felt like a yeah. like a freak and the and the and the and the reception in in america wasn't very enthusiastic or wasn't wasn't yeah i mean it was it was i think it was very good for a small press book yeah. of 800 pages yeah. but uh you know there was a very nice new york times review there was a very nice uh you know but it wasn't a large publisher it wasn't it yeah. just sort of appeared and went do you think that's the reason why it, it didn't get more acclaim in the u.s back then or maybe also because i mean you're not that much on the outside of the american literary world anymore now as you were back then no absolutely uh, absolutely yeah. uh um i think that people thought what is this obnoxious child doing like throwing 800 pages on us yeah sure Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that absolutely had something to do yeah. with it. How do you feel about about that? Or how did you how did you feel about that back then? You know, when you were. I mean, I think I was. I something. think I was so obnoxious that I said, "Well, that's your problem," and which is something that I still say. You know, I, I don't. You know, I think. You know, how did I feel then? It was. I I didn't think. I never thought that I was going to publish something, anything, yeah. and that the entire world was going to stop and say, "Great job," you know, like okay. this way to the throne. You know, I, I mean, there, there was never that the, there was never that expectation that a, a book was going to 
save my life or change my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I had known enough about writing and I'd known enough writers and I'd spent enough time um, at that point as a professional writer, as a journalist, you know, knowing that any of that mm-hmm. is crazy. Yeah. But I did want to have a record, um, but I was, I had enough hubris at that age that I wanted to have a record of what it felt like to um, to be in the place I was at the time I was, you know, at an imaginative record, which is to say, you know, interviewing and documenting the last living Holocaust survivors in Eastern Europe mm-hmm. for the last Jewish newspaper in New York, mm-hmm. you know, having the last foreign correspondent job that existed for the last Jewish newspaper in New York, right. you know, essentially pulling up in a small town in Slovakia, you know, um, and seeing, um, you know, whether the cemetery was destroyed, you know, when they put in the new ice hockey rink or talking to, you know, beat up at that occasion. It was in Lithuania. Yeah. 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 And near the Panerai. But, but, but it's like, it's, it's, and so, I don't say all of my peers, you know, but many of my peers, mm-hmm. um, some of whom are still writing now, many of whom are not, were at that time in New York getting jobs for the first online publications. Mm-hmm. They were writing for, I don't know, Slate, Salon, you know, back in the, the Jurassic period, you know, and, um, or they were writing blogs, which apparently are back now, right? And, um, and I was working for a Jewish newspaper in Germany, Poland, and East. And it was a decision. It was an antisocial decision. It was also a personal decision. But it felt like a, a trial that I had to submit myself to, to understand certain things about my parents and grandparents, mm-hmm. to understand certain things about myself as a writer, to understand certain things about cultures that that I was involved with peripherally or not, right? And um, and it felt more honest than living here and going to work for fucking Salon, right. you know. Yeah, yeah. And and um, and so what might have been perceived as this hubristic stunt of you know dropping these pages on people and saying you know, deal with it, to me, to me was a, um, I was doing the only honest thing I could do, which was trying to give some sort of imaginative picture of how I felt and the life that I had apparently chosen for myself, which didn't feel like a choice at the time. Yeah. So in a way, uh, it felt to you that in the time that you were in Europe, you, you were... Benjamin Israelian in a sense. I, I, I mean, th- there was absolutely th- that 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 sense. I mean, but but I also knew that it was that in a New York context I was as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was working for the Jewish Daily Forward, which is in Yiddish, Russian, and English. You know, and like yeah. I, yeah. you know, I was still getting paid by like laborious bank transfers that would take forever. You know, and like, and and I didn't have a phone that I could contact people on, and yeah. and it was, it was. Um, you know, it was a, a, a very, very, very odd 
time. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, I mean, you, you, you talked about this this narrative of the last of the last Jew, but also as the the rebirth as a sideshow in Coney Island that you're that you're that yeah you're, yeah yeah that you're talking about. Um, um, I mean, was, was that an important issue for you at that at that time? The death of uh, of Jewish identity and maybe the rebirth of as as a sideshow or as a fetish or yes, certainly. I mean, the mm -hmm. idea of like the the sort of kitschification of of of, of suffering of trauma, yeah. which you know was certainly, I think, brought to a certain height um, in depictions of the Holocaust. Uh, but certainly, as we see now, the the the, the kitschification and the manipulation of trauma is not limited to Jewish culture. Mm -hmm. We're surrounded by it now, where mm -hmm. so much art is a um, is a performative is a performance of trauma, right? Yeah. And um, and and in fact, like trauma is in many ways the now the legitimating stamp of art. You know, I can make art because I was traumatized. Right. I mean, this is like, like we've, we've, we've sort of uh, uh, packaged uh, an element of this. I mean, certainly we've perfected this in the memoir, uh, in the in the in the American memoir, yes. which is, you know, I had cancer. So read my memoir, yeah. you know, as as if not everyone has cancer living within them, and all, you know, like or, or um, you know, writers who work out of any sort of um, the two great narratives of American life. Right, the two warring narratives of American life being the the immigration narrative. Uh, uh, you know, my my people came from another country to seek a better life here because they were kicked out or whatever. Right, but life got better here. Mm -hmm. And then the competing narrative, which is the slave narrative, which is they kidnapped us, put us on a boat, and brought us here and sold us. Right. Mm -hmm. So these competing narratives, um, and they're competing narratives largely among peoples who, you know, didn't intersect at the time of slavery. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't like the Irish, Italian, and Jewish immigrants were the primary owners of slaves. They absolutely weren't, right? But so you have these kind of two warring narratives yeah. uh, of, um, of 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 American ascensionism or the American dream, mm -hmm. and um, and these two things sort of come at each other, and in many ways the failure of the redemption of those dreams or the fulfillment of those dreams, mm -hmm. right? Uh, uh, um, becomes a trauma literature and, uh, and and sort of becomes perfected as a trauma literature and packaged as a trauma yeah. literature um, and um, and so absolutely that was in my mind I mean in in, in, in you know the book that I call cadenza in German so solo for Schneiderman right that that you know is a scene where you know the guy goes to a matinee movie of Schindler's list and says you know I was there it wasn't like that you know yes. Yes. and you know so there, there was um, there was certainly a thought about the way in which all mass culture, not just American culture, kind of packages it. Yeah. There was a thinking also about why is this a particular American um, relationship to trauma? You know, I think, you know, at, at the time, you know, uh, uh, um, when I was writing the book, I mean, one of the things that I was thinking about, and then I, I later like ended up writing a little bit about it, um, uh, sort of around Zebald, you know, who I think is a, interesting figure for many ways but um mm. but um you know why was you know germany's response uh german literature's response to the war to the second world war um into this so-called you know rubble literature right 
where, you know, it suddenly becomes a very stripped down and kind of pared down um, writing, right? right? Where um, almost drained of, uh, like, you, you can only use, uh, you know, you have to really question every word because so many words had been tainted, right? Um, you know, that to me seems like a traumatized literature. And as opposed to in American response to immigration trauma or slavery, which seemed to me um, going in the opposite direction, which is a, in, uh, of excess and bathos. So on one hand, you know, you have a European response, which is desiccated, and not just in Germany, you know, France, but it's the desiccated riddle. The novels become shorter, they become terser, um, they become drier. And in America, they become fatter, like the people, and sweatier, like the people. No, no, and, and more expansive. And, and you know, the, the, these to me were very interesting phenomena to think about. Interesting. Interesting. So, so you, you are articulating this distaste this with this instrumentalization of, of, of trauma, or are you just, just oh, describing totally. it? Oh, yeah. totally. No, no, I, I have a distaste for it, but I think more important than it, my distaste is, mm. is sort of understanding... I mean, I think everyone has a distaste for the trauma. I think the, the people who are the salespeople of their own trauma yes. have distaste for they hate themselves. Yes. You know, like so. So I don't think that that's a, an original thing to to have. To, you know, distaste for the way in which one peddles one's own suffering. Yeah. But what what does interest me are why or why is this an American response? Okay, uh-huh. and do you have an answer? So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think I think in many ways, I, I, I mean, it, it's hard for me to say. I mean, I think in, in many ways, it's it's to sort of prove in the novel the abundance that you that you were promised in the country. Interesting. Like you know, you you were kind of promised this manifest destiny country, yes. where anything was possible and all of it was yours, and one could go anywhere, do anything, and reinvent oneself as anyone. You yes. could. You, and and when that becomes a when that becomes impossible on the ground, like in reality, yeah. you know, you, your imagination compensates. Mm-hmm. That that I think is you know that's certainly one kind of theory I've had of it. Yeah. And I think about that in almost the opposite sense, which is, you know, from a European perspective, if one's imagination is 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 um, is essentially kind of one of ingrained thoughts that you feel like you need to fight against, mm-hmm. right? Then your literature is going to, you know, become this kind of very constricted thing, mm-hmm. right? If you have demons in your head, your, your literature becomes constricted, yeah. you know? It, 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 yeah. it, it's, it's, you know, I, I, I think about it that way. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, there's, there's a, a, a um, there was an element of, um, yeah, when you talk about the, 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 the the kitchification of trauma. I think it was also there's an, an element of the internet in it too, mm-hmm. where um, where suddenly you know you were writing for more people than ever, or more people than ever would hear about your work. No one would ever read it; they just hear about it, right? They yeah. just read about it. <laughs> yeah. And um, and this idea. Which is a deeply American idea, I think that that you know that um, the larger the audience for something, the stupider the thing has to become. Mm-hmm. Right. Interesting. Yeah. You know, like like or, or, or this great phrase, you know, art doesn't scale. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's very true. Yeah. And so it was also a kind of a desire for me to reassert the parochial or the, or the small. Mm-hmm. And I mean small in terms of But you did that audience. with a huge book. <laughs> well, right, but I think, that, but I think that's the paradox. Uh, it's, a, you know, it, it's, it's a thing that is like um, deeply parochial, uh, um, highly specific, Maybe only for a few readers, right? But very, I mean, to me, that, that was a, um, that was a real, uh, uh, um, existential act. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a passage in the Metin Yaws where you juxtapose the American identity creation and Jewish identity creation. You talk about, uh, I, I don't remember the exact words, but the present moment in, in America is always, you know, the, at, at, at the top or, or, right. or at the, you know, yeah. and the precursor of the, of the next ascension and Jewish yeah. is almost the opposite. Know, the opposite. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, are they are, like American identity and Jewish identity? Are they irreconcilable to it? <laughs> I, you know, I, I mean, I think that, 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 you know, in many ways, the, the immigrant narrative, right. And, and look, we can, you know, to be sincere about immigrant narrative, we should also call a you know a slave narrative, right? Mm-hmm. In, in American literature, the, these things were. I mean, first of all, you know, slave narratives are like oral for a long time, and then like written on pieces of bag, and like you know, and barely, you know, I mean, or or someone escaped up north and dictated something to someone, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, the immigrant novel really comes in in the, the, the late 19th century or the mid to late 19th century. And this is the tiniest part of American literature. I mean, to even call it a part is a joke. Mm-hmm. You know, you have Henry James going down to the Lower East Side and saying, who are all these like loud fucking people who were discussed, you know, right? And, you know, and he says, yes, you know, you know, you know, this country can't afford this kind of, you know, and it's like, um, and when you have, you know, anything from Abraham Cahan to really, you know, I think the first truly great one, which would be, you know, Call of Sleep, you know, Henry Roth, um, you, 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 these things are very recent in, in the scheme of history, right? And it's only really in, um, it's only really in the last, you know, there are a few periods over the last century where they have these narratives that are written from the ground up, these books that are not written by a wealthy class or a ruling class, mm-hmm. but that are, are written kind of from the bottom um, or in a self-elected aristocracy, let's say, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's only lately that they've become American culture, mm-hmm. you know? And, and though, and though, you know, you, we could both go out. And just, we could yeah. both go out on the street and. Um, no, 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 no. Um, we could both go out on the street and find a young person who would, you know, who would condemn Philip Roth, you know, for being a misogynist or for you know whatever. Right. The truth is, is that, you know, he is a major historical forefather 
He's a, he's he's a, the grandfather or the uncle of the young female black novelist today. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 um, this continuum um, that really democratized American culture, right? Um, is so recently what we consider American culture, right? Mm. That, um, that I can't say that Jewish culture and American culture are, are opposed, right? I, I think that, like, what, I don't know what American culture is right now. I would love to find out. But it seems to me that so much that, that the democratization here has been so successful. I mean, people watch people, you know, break shit at the Capitol. You know, people watch Trump, people. But when you look at culture, that process has been so sweepingly successful that it's almost impossible for most people to notice. So you're more optimistic about America than a lot of people that look at it from the outside. (laughs) I mean, I don't know that a, a country's culture is a great yardstick of its health. Well, I mean, I, that certainly wasn't true in Germany. No, unfortunately. Right. Not. I mean, you know, you got some great writers there, and then you know, it still happened. Right. So, yeah. so you know, but 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 in terms of American culture, yeah. I will say that you know, yeah. look, I mean, when it was hard for you know Bellow to be taken seriously, yeah. it was you know, it was hard for Roth sometimes to be taken seriously in the very beginning of his career in the fifties yeah. and, yeah. and early sixties, yeah. um, and now you look at the wave of Soviet immigration here and the books that came out of that, the novelists that came out of that, Gary Steingart, right? right yeah. um, when you when you look at the um, Indian American novelist, Karan Mahajan, when, you know, I'm, I'm talking, this is, you know, already around my generation, you know, mm-hmm. when you when you look at, at Yaga Yasi, when you look at, at Helen Oyeyemi, like, you know, you, you, it, it's not something that's happened in the last few years. Uh-huh. It's a it's a process that extends um, from Anna Yazerska, you know, or from Emma Lazarus, or frankly. It's a hundred, it's a hundred, hundred twenty. Over years it's you know it's 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 who you know who wrote the poem on the base of the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so it's and so you know certainly. American culture has felt opposed to these things mm-hmm. for so long, but that establishment, its its influence has it, influence. It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, and 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 in a lot of ways, you know, the books that I'm writing or that I, I've tried to write, and I see this in retrospect now, is about how does one deal with that um, waning. Because in in a sense, you know, um, without that authority figure, even an imaginary authority mm-hmm. to um, to be your adversary, it's how do we all deal with one another? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did it ever occur to you to not write Jewish American literature? I mean, I never thought I was writing Jewish American literature. I just thought I was writing. I mean, I, I've tried to write books with non-Jews in them without doing Jewish things, and I do about twenty pages. Yeah, I probably have a couple hundred pages. Of, you know, 
Just people. Just, you know, I think of a character. I don't think that, oh, yes, he's Jewish, he has to go to this. I make up a character and I send, you know, maybe the one default I have is, is, uh, is that he's a man. Always the character. It's hard for me to, to, it really, well, it's not, it's hard for me to write a woman as a, as the, the protagonist narrator. Mm. You know, it, it is. And so, so that already tells you that it feels like I'm bringing some of my language into a first person, Mm. you know? And, and I think when I speak, people can hear that too, but it's, you know, but okay, so maybe I assume he's a man, but that's, but then I send him into his day and I don't know, I get 20 yeah. or 30 pages and he ends up doing something Jewish and I never think about it. Uh, it, it just, it just happens because. I, yeah, I don't uh, know. I mean, it's just, you know, or like yeah. there've been times where I've tried not to do that and, you know, and it's been, it's been, um. It's tough because then I'm trying not to do it. You know, I'm like... So it doesn't feel natural. Or, that, yeah. or it just it sounds ridiculous. It sounds ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, or I'm like, I'm doing like kind of what Bella was doing in Henderson the Rain King. I'm like writing a, a, a caricature of a non-Jew. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, yeah. why, like why, why should I try so hard to prove to somebody that my character is not Jewish? Yeah, yeah. He's eating pork on the first page. Yeah. He's doing whatever, you know. It's like... Well, I mean, I hear, you hear some African American writers complaining about the fact that all they can ever write until the end of time is, is, is stories about African American identity, and they. Yeah. I, don't I mean, you, I don't. You don't feel like it's a prison, or. or it's, no, it's, <laughs> I mean, first of all, I think anyone who complains about that, I don't like. I don't trust anyone who complains about the fact that they can write something. Uh huh. Okay. I think writing is so hard. I really, I think writing is so difficult, uh, and I think it gets more difficult as one um, has previous work to kind of look back on and to work against, yeah. that if you can do anything well, mm-hmm. one thing well, mm-hmm. it's a miracle, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I, I, it's funny, I had a, a, a guy who was a, he was a young writer, and he kind of sent me this thing, and and he was, you know, he was a black kid, and he was like, you know, that's all black characters, you know, do that. Mm. And then meanwhile, he tells me this, and I'm kind of listening to him, and I'm just like, don't worry about it, just write, you know, mm. write what you're going to write, you know. Mm. And then he opens his bag, like, to put something away, and I see that he has, like, five Thomas Bernhard novels. And I say to myself, like, just one thing. If you can just do one thing, you see, this guy just did one thing mm-hmm. and he was totally fine mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and i and and i i think that people don't realize that they that they love sometimes you know it, what we love about other people is the their inevitability sometimes of being themselves yeah. you know and but in in ourselves we're yeah. sick of ourselves yeah. so we're just like oh that again uh-huh. 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 is there something like that for you like for example <laughs> no, I like I like writing. Fun. I mean, I, I never get sick of I, I I get sick of trying to be serious sometimes. Okay, you know, I think if anything, since um, you know, um, um, I mean, I think Vitz is is maybe that in Heaven of Others maybe my, like my two most serious books, even though it has joke in the title. Thank you, but I mean, it's like it's trying to say things too. Yeah, yeah. you know, and and and. And the jokes are a little bit more buried um, sometimes, but but uh, 
Uh, no, what do I get sick of in my own thing? I think, you know, I, I, I think I, I, I think that I, I'm very impatient. I mean, this is a deeply, you see, you can't even avoid doing this Jewish thing. This is horrible, but it's true. It's, it's, I, I really have never felt like a competent, um, visual novelist mm -hmm. you know like describing something so someone can see it mm -hmm. you know that there was that is it the which which conrad novel is that is it is it to is it to lord jim or maybe it's the one you're not supposed to say anymore the n-word of the narcissus you know uh -huh. yeah. but it's the, there's a preface to to that that joseph conrad wrote where he says you know above all i'm trying to get you to see you know, to see something. And um, Nabokov, the master of that, Conrad, a master of that. And I feel like um, I try very hard to get people to see. Yeah. And, uh, and I fail. And I'm sick of failing. And I'm sick of wanting to make people see. Uh -huh. And, um, yeah. So you can't, you can't give it up. You, you just keep trying. <laughs> yeah, I, I do because I feel um, I wish I could give it up because I also I don't just think it's a problem in my writing. I think that um, I think that seeing requires a certain amount of quiet that I don't have, and I think also seeing requires a um, seeing to me seems hostile to 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 hearing and to the spoken mm -hmm. and to the verbal mm -hmm. and um, yeah mm -hmm. is that again you know part of the the, the, the Jewish I don't know that's what I was saying I, I, I don't I don't uh, the, yeah against okay. graven images I, I have no yeah. idea I mean I, I don't know I mean I don't know I, I, I feel like um, I mean you know the, the typical kind of you know the Yiddish line is you know Yiddish has like words for like four kinds of trees or five you know like it's just you know what tree it's a tree you know okay, it's a tree it's a tree big tree little tree that's it, you know? And it's like when you're far away, it's yeah. a little tree. And then you're close to it, it's a it's big, a big tree. tree. Right. And, and th those are the kind of trees you are, that we have, right? Uh -huh. But so it's not even, you know, it's not even that. Because, you know, Nabokov, who is excellent at that, or or, or Cormac McCarthy, uh -huh. who has nine different words for types of rocks or sands, you know, for every each, you know, it, you know, that's the kind of thing that, you know, that's a dictionary problem. Uh -huh. That's a, you know... I'm not saying I'm too stupid to learn the types of trees. Like I could look at a picture of a leaf and say, that is this, and then figure it out. Mm -hmm. I'm saying the experience of seeing and the evocation in a paragraph mm -hmm. of, um, of an image, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the ekphrasis, right? That, 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 you know, the description of the work of art in a way. Mm -hmm. I was never... Because my mic is full of sounds. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm the super for this building. I'm the only guy that anyone buzzes for. Hello? Okay, do you want me to sign?
seriously uh-huh. and that that and that shuffling took so seriously and especially with Klaus leaving yes. you know which is um, understandable but very sad and very much an end of, yeah. of an era that I wasn't around for so much of but he uh-huh. was amazingly kind to me as was his wife and and now with this new new arrangement, I hope I'm not the thing that sinks the new arrangement. <laughs> you know, um, um, I and and Sabina Bauman who's who's who's, who's wonderful. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I think you know, for me, it feels um, it feels. Uh, yeah. It, it, I don't want to be too, you know, I just, I'm, 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 I just invade against the kitchification of sentiment and uh-huh. the kitchification of trauma. So I, I don't want to be then guilty of what I have just condemned, but, uh, but I feel like it does in a lot of ways, you know, bring something very much, you know, full circle, um, for, um, for me and for, uh, certain, yeah, and, 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 and for family things, um, the, uh, you know, the last part of the book is really kind of a split history of my father's family and my mother's family. And all of the stuff, uh, from Cohen is, is like the house described mm-hmm. in the last section is, I believe it's, it's Brolersfasse 50, which was their house, Cologne, which is now is it the Gesellschaft Wissenschaftsrates? Is the the Atomic Energy Commission of Germany, right? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and it, it was a you know it was a very very large house. It became SS headquarters in Cologne, um, and then it, now it's the Atomic Energy Commission. I think that the last person I know of, my, my father was allowed in it, and then at a certain point you weren't allowed in it anymore because it's the Atomic Energy Commission. You, know, you understand why uh-huh. you weren't allowed in it anymore? But um, you know, I think that it 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 does. It feels odd because, um, because in many ways, look. I mean, I'm not crazy. My, you know, first of all, if my grandma is still, still alive, she would be way too old to read any book. <laughs> you know, uh, her English uh, uh, was as good as her German eventually, and um, and she would never be stupid enough to read a book of mine. <laughs> she had far. I have all of her books over there. She had like I was not her taste, um, but um, but 
in an imaginary world in which my grandmother could, and my grandmother could take some pleasure in something, I'm sure she would be proud of that existing. Um, I think that, that, you know, for her, um, there was a, there was an enormous disappointment that I really felt independent of how it was for both of them, my grandfather and my grandmother, but independent of how my parents even interpreted it. Because my, for my parents, it was, they couldn't even call it a disappointment because they had to, or my dad, like, he had to live with it. He had to suffer it. So it was like, you know, he's, and he's very good at repressing things, right? So, but there was this idea that, you know, you forget that a country saves your life after a while, mm-hmm. you know, 10 minutes, I don't know, something. <laughs> and, 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 and you start kind of saying how barbaric it is and how stupid everyone is and how everything on television is crass and, um, and I, and I think that that perception of things absolutely influenced, along with the economics of just kind of losing everything and coming here, really influenced my father's life and how he would ended up kind of following not maybe a path that he wanted, you know? And uh, so I, I don't know whether it's like tribute to my grandparents or secret revenge that I became a novelist mm-hmm. because they didn't think anything like that would be possible in this dumb place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, so it's a very complicated emotion. On one hand, it's sort of like, I've made them proud. On the other hand, it's sort of like, eat it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so, and like, not just, not just fuck you, here's this, but also sort of, avenging my father <laughs> to uh-huh. them, you know? Yeah, and so it, it's, 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 th- there is that element. So they came from Cologne. Yeah. Your, both of your grandparents. On my father, my father's side. On your father's side. On your father's side. Sorry, I don't know. When, when did they come here? Crazy late. Yeah, they, um, they went to Portugal in 41. Wow. And then they got out, I think it was the second the last boat out of Portugal in 41. Yeah. They, um, Max Meyer, so Doris was a, they um, owned um, um, Giza uh, Paperwerke, uh-huh. which now is oh, yeah. the, 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 the cigarette, cigarette paper. Yeah. They, they made a lot of other kind of paper, but they were most famous for the cigarette for the paper. Cigarette paper yeah. And then they, I think a Spanish conglomerate owns, uh-huh. it, owns it now. Yeah, yeah. But um, that was all you know, they were kind of, you know, they were deeply into like the Middle East Oriental put a pyramid on shit vibe. They actually, um, they actually made my, my aunt has one. Um, it's somewhere. She, my aunt is, it's my aunt is my father's older sister. That's her eldest daughter. She lives on the fifth floor here. And the, the but, building belongs, belongs to her. Or there was something like that. Belongs to her. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Parents are dead. Right. So my aunt, my father's eldest sister lives on the fifth floor and she has, as a promotion in I want to say 30 I want to say 33 or 34 uh-huh. but as a promotion for Giza papers right they printed the world's smallest Quran 
on a, on a piece of the ice. Yeah, but like on a tiny, on a, right? A, yeah. And which I just think is, you know, Jews in Germany printing on cigarette paper the world's smallest Quran. Yeah. yeah. That's such a great story. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, but yeah, yeah, they, 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 they were, they were from there. And then there was a, a large, um, portion of that family that was from, um, Forklone that was from Fernkastle. Not far from Cologne. Yeah, not far from Cologne. Yeah, all, yeah, all yeah, yeah, and, yeah. um, and, but a far more boring town. Huh? But a far more, more boring, boring town. More boring town than Cologne. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, you know, so, so there, there, yeah, there certainly is like, uh, um, you know, but in the time since that book, since Vitz came out, you know, it's, it's, you know, the last monologue is about the last living Holocaust survivor. That's yeah. the last section of the book, right? Yeah. Yeah. And all of those people that, um, that, I mean, I took a lot of things from a lot of people for that section, but all of the people who I really, really talked to and the people that I felt that I could really beat up for like details and for just like, give me the thing, you know, cause most people don't know what the novelistic detail is. Mm-hmm. So you have to just be like, you got to point them in certain directions, right? Mm-hmm. And Francis Leopold, Ruth Hirsch, all of these friends, because all the men died early because they all fucking drank and smoked, right? They were just So all the women lived for a lot longer and they're all dead now. Not a single one is alive. Mm-hmm. And they, and so between 2010 and now, yeah, I think nine, ten of them, just that whole circle has gone. And yeah, interesting. Thank you so so much. They're all they're all buried next to the Turnpike, the New Jersey Turnpike. turnpike. Well, did they come to New Jersey or did they come to Manhattan first? Some of them came to uh, well, so their friends who were a lot smarter (laughs) came to New York um, in the thirties, right? And um, because they came so late. They were resettled. Um, she was resettled uh, by Hyas, by the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society in um, in Alliance, New Jersey, on the chicken farms down yes, there. Yes. And then they tried to get out of there. There's free. a lot of that. There's a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then her elder sister, so my great aunt Ruth, um, who um, who eventually was the, my neighbor and lived on Grand Street mm-hmm. when she came. She came years later, and this is you know. So you have to imagine that. For a time, my grandmother living here, right upstairs, yeah. and you have like uh, her sister living in the um, Pan Quotidian, where that the, right yeah. the building is on Grand. It's uh, ninety-six Grand. Yeah. Um, not talking to each other. <laughs> I mean, Ruth was. They could send one kid on a Kinder transport. Ruth was the eldest. They sent her, she went somewhere in like the middle of nowhere, England. I have no idea. She was like, became like a domestic help kind of thing. Probably some fucked up sexual shit there with whatever family was hosting her. And then she came like a couple years after they ended up back here. They found her and then she came. And, you know, Dara, so my grandmother always thought that, you know, they loved her more. That's why they picked to save her. And Ruth always thought they just wanted to get rid of me. And then she was in New York a couple of years before I was, so she was from New Jersey and then New York. She speaks better English than I do, uh-huh. but I'm the elder. But they still lived like that. 
Like a hundred yards away from totally. Me, so, wow. And like crossing the street and shit, not seeing that. I'm not. not yeah. Wow. Like wow. just ugly, 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 ugly. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you're living in the middle of this still. You know, well, they're all dead, so it's fine. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah I mean, but, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, no, it's no. I still, friends. I still talk to my aunt. <laughs> believe me, all the time. Except now with COVID, she is. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, she ran for the hills. Mm-hmm. You know, Perfect for her. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But of course, you know, let's not even get into you know vaccine denialism among children of Holocaust survivors. Let's not even talk about that. <laughs> she. She she left the city and will not get right. Yep. But it's I mean it's understandable. Sure, man. I guess. I mean, if she wants to fucking die upstate in the Catskills, like with crazy fucking letter, great. I mean, I, what am I supposed to do? You know? Right. Like in the middle of the night, just jam her with a needle. Everybody, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. it's yeah. you know. Yeah. Sure. I mean. I don't blame anyone for anything, mm-hmm. except when then she complains. She's like, "There's, I can't get any good food up here." I'm and like, "Yeah, because you're in the middle of nowhere in the fucking Catskills." Like, where is the Catskills? Um, you know, Andes. Oh yeah, right. So she's like a little bit outside of Andes. Pretty up there. It's very pretty. It's gorgeous. <laughs> it's totally nice up there. And the thing is, is that mm-hmm. I think she's like, I actually think she's having a good time. Mm-hmm. You know, but she's having a good time because she's with. Other people who think it's the end of the world. Interesting. Right? She's not just having a normal time. Yeah. You know? <laughs> She's having like a, let's make our last days really good. You know? <laughs> let's live it up. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I think so. I think well. so. Yeah. 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 All right. Thank you so much again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Absolutely.